never give up. I never give up. I never give up. Hi guys, welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Like and subscribe down there that you don't miss all these fantastic guests that I have. And today is a wonderful example for that because I've got Debbie Baston with me. Debbie Baston is a, a Christian force of nature. She is a woman who has been in the darkness uh, and is now addicted to the light. She has decided to make sense of the loss and of the, the darkness that she has experienced by creating a community out there, by going out there and showing by true living this path and by, by creating the community for others that you can move on and that indeed there is a beautiful growth waiting for you to happen after trauma if you just let it let it develop and it's such a hard lesson yet we all have so much trauma and i can't wait to hear from this mumpreneur from this baby factory from this <laughs> this woman who puts jesus christ first but uses the power of her beliefs of her faith to actually create a better world. That is something I want to honor. So Debbie, thank you so much for coming onto my show. Thank you for this opportunity. I'm really excited to be a guest. Thank you. <laughs> and I love the way you labeled yourself the baby factory. <laughs> and it is it is what it is because this was your life. This was your this was the 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 path you chose. Uh, and and who would have known about the roles and about the the various opportunities you choose today to impact lives? And you certainly didn't know that when you were a younger girl. I mean, who who did you or what did you want to be? So ever were, since I yeah yeah, when I was a tiny girl, about six years old, I knew that I wanted to be a school teacher. My favorite teacher was my fourth grade teacher. And so I just decided to model my life after her. I said, well, I want to be like her. So it makes sense to go to the same college. And so I did and became a teacher teaching the same fourth grade class. And I loved it. It was short lived, but I, I really did enjoy that. But the more you get into it, you're kind of like, I don't know that I adore children. <laughs> uh, well, having said that, they're still a fourth grade. They're still sort of cute, aren't they? Um, yes. So there is, there's not yet the Mrs. Uh, the, the, for those in the podcast, I was just silently <laughs> swearing here um, because that is unfortunately what we see. Uh, the, 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 a, oh, shall I say degradation? of social norms that is that is impacting maybe our children um maybe the we all know that it is getting harder and harder for children to be children um right so my goodness um i i understand that you wanted to to move on but what was the next step how do... the next step was having a litter of children so i had four children in four years just full-on baby factory. That was never my plan. I actually never wanted to have children, but once I got married, I it was insatiable. It was just built in me that I need to have a baby. 
And so we had decided as soon as I got pregnant that the plan was to be a stay-at-home mom, be in the thick of everything, making casseroles, you know, reading books, all of these awesome treasures, which I'm really glad I got to do for nearly 10 years. Wow. Wow. And that's so beautiful. Was there ever the feeling of a loss there at that time? Oh, I want to be that young woman again. Why do I have to be at home all the time? Uh, why do I have to do all the work at home? I'm not your slave. <laughs> yeah, I think that motherhood is very depleting. It's it's the best headache I've ever had. However, I'm living in sweat. The clock hours mean nothing. And I definitely felt very locked into the house. It was hard to even leave. And ultimately, I found that motherhood really reveals the dark side of your character. <laughs> I thought I was a nice person. And then I became a mother. <laughs> Ooh, oh, beautifully said. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah. There is a there is a uh, level of insight there that uh, is important because there is a pain associated with that. There is a loss and grief of mm -hmm. the younger you. Oh, when I have no children, I could just go out and do a workout or do all oh, these children. Arr. And then the husband comes home and says, hey, darling, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> Did you become right. Did you become a bitch? <laughs> I, I, well, I think I'd always been one. I just did. It was kind of buried beneath. And now it was brought to the surface okay. on the regular. Okay. <laughs> um, so there was pain there. Did you try to escape? There's so many mums who are getting drawn into the mummy wine culture. Okay. Yeah. Uh, was alcohol a temptation? Were uh, over-the-counter medications or, you know, other medications where they are temptation. No. You know, I, I totally get why that happens. I have no judgment at all. I, I understand those justifications for me. I think I just had to have time. I, I didn't, I didn't have any unusual coping mechanisms that I know of, but I finally had to get to the point where I needed more social interaction. Mm -hmm. I needed to get out of the house, be with other young moms to know I'm not alone in this craziness. I needed to get to as many church Bible studies I could so I could learn about God and get free childcare. Somebody else needs to be responsible for two hours for these people I made. <laughs> so that nice. was kind of how those years were lived. Nice. <laughs> and of course, that is so beautiful. That is so to have that that community. Um, I know I, I lived in in Western Africa for a few months in my life, and there, when a young mum would come into a circle of their friends, and that baby would move around, and everyone would cuddle the baby and spend time with the baby, and meanwhile, mum was actually taking a big breather. And half an hour later, the baby sort of came back and said, oh, okay, yeah, you are. Okay. And it was so right. nice. It happened naturally in those tribes, in those in those uh, circles there. Um, and uh, we we keep forgetting that you need to look after yourself. So many women are nowadays under the impression, no, I'm a businesswoman. No, I'm the perfect mum. No, I'm the perfect lover to my husband. Yeah, right. <laughs> How did your relationship hold out? It was a big strain. Honestly, I kept telling myself, 
most of our issues seem to be based on parenthood. And so I kept thinking, once the last ones are 18 and out of the house, (laughs) everything is fine. So it was very, there was a lot of strife. There was plenty of bickering, even in front of the kids, breaking all the rules in that sense. But it was really hard when you have two stubborn people come together. <laughs> there's there's plenty of volume. <laughs> oh, beautiful, beautiful. Was there also an insight there that this is what was happening? Or were you far too close to the events to know or, or get a sense what is really driving the whole uh, discontent? You know, I think hindsight is much clearer for me, at least, to say, huh, I wonder if all of this was actually my own selfishness, because it's so easy to deflect and blame the other person. You're the fixer upper. I'm fine. You're the project. And unfortunately, when I look back, I think, wow, I was so focused on myself that I I really, you know, I wish I could, I wish I could go back and and be better, honestly. Maybe more honest. Better is, is, uh, um, no, I think it is, if you could have just seen and have that insight, then I think that would be so wonderful. And and most of us are guilty as charged here. You could have just as much described my relationship with my wife during those times and even up to very recent. Um, it is it is a big pitfall there because we are too close to the events and we can't we 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 don't search the sources out who might hold might be able to hold a mirror in front of our face so that we can actually see what is happening. We don't talk to people who are a bit further down the path. Um, on the contrary, we are we're often flooded with negative emotions. Was mm-hmm. there shame? Was there guilt at that time? And yourself? You know, I think if anything, I I mostly felt frustrated. I uh-huh. felt kind of kind of caged in in lots of different ways. I felt a lot of times just overwhelmed. It was hard to have even clarity of thought when everybody was, you know, into everything, trying to eat rocks and play in the dog bowl and run into traffic. It was hard to even be able to inhale and exhale to say, what what is actually going on here? <laughs> what is going well and what kind of needs some more tweaking, some more focus? Beautiful, beautiful. Wow. How long did that chaos last? I think once my twins turned five, I think that's when I was able to kind of get my head above water as far as motherhood goes. I was like, this is when it gets easier. People can tie their own shoes and wipe their own butt. I'm like, okay, it's all going to get easier from here. (laughs) So it took a while. Mm. And then... God looked down and said, <laughs> she is kidding herself. <laughs> yeah. Come on, let's give her another lesson. <laughs> right, and exactly. I'm, I'm very hard-headed and needed some strong <laughs> lessons, apparently. <laughs> Unfortunately, 2012 came around, and with that I'm not referring to the Mayan calendar, but I'm referring to another 
Ah, change of seasons, so to speak, for you. What happened? Mm -hmm. In 2012, it was the summertime and our four boys and I went to my in-laws house because my husband's parents lived down near the beach and my husband was going to be playing bachelor for a few days and then going to join us uh, four hours away from our house. And we were having a great time on vacation. Just the boys were fishing. I was sunbathing. It was just a very freedom, very happy, very light days. But what I noticed was I had been texting my husband throughout the day and he was not responding to me. And I tried to say, back off, you're being the nagging wife, let him play bachelor, give him a break, give him some breathing space. He's just having fun, you know, maybe exercising or whatever. But it started to roll into the night. So we're talking about really 12 hours. You're not going to answer me and text back. Like now I'm kind of annoyed with you. The time kept marching on. And by the time it was about 10 o'clock, I, I told my mother-in-law and father-in-law, I'm actually worried about your son. I haven't heard back from him. This really isn't like him. He's very caring. He would call every night and talk to the kids, talk to me. And I just felt unsettled. And so I had a friend start looking for him, one of our neighbors. I said, can you just run by the house? And he said, I don't see him at the house. And he said, I'll, I'll drive by his school. He, my husband, being a school teacher, was often at the school because also being athletic director, you have lots of hats to wear. And so he actually found my husband's car behind the school. And he said, but I don't see Aaron. I don't know where he is this is weird. This is too much. And he said, I really feel like you need to get more people involved, Debbie. And I was like, well, nothing's wrong. He's probably just playing a prank. Nothing could actually happen to him. But at this point, that late at night, at my friend's advice, he said, I think you need to call the police. And so I called the police and said, this is crazy. I don't even know why I'm calling you but I'm, I guess I'm filing a missing person report. I don't even know what that means beyond going to see a movie and hearing those lines said. Mm. And that's kind of when the nightmare started that lots of friends and family quickly found out that my husband was missing. They all convened at this school because behind the school is a hundred acres of woods. We kind of live in an area where farmlands are pretty common and so they were looking for him in the dark of night. And at this point, I'm thinking, what am I doing four hours away? This, I, I can't do this. I'm itching in my own skin. So my mother-in-law and I decided to drive through the night. We left at 1 a.m., got back to my hometown at 5 a.m. and pulled onto the school property, just confused. I was dazed and thinking he probably just got hurt. It's all a joke. Everything is fine. There's got to be a reason for this. And just pulling into that parking lot was very eerie. It was surreal to describe because it's like you're pulling into this environment where you feel like you're a celebrity or a president. Everything was highly um, policed and I was interrogated by the police. Do you know where your husband husband is? Asking all the questions, basically, you know, am, am I the cause of some trouble, which <laughs> I'm not. And so they had they had pulled everybody out 
of the woods to stop looking for my husband. They said, things are not good. We don't know what's going on, but we need to call. They had tried to do search dogs, but too many people had been around my husband's car. So search dogs didn't work. Then they were calling in a helicopter to do some infrared searching to try to find body heat. So that was on the way, but being held up. And then they pulled everybody out, stopped the search and said, we're going to bring in a rookie team. We're going to map out the hundred acres and have an organized search by professionals. But in the meantime, my sweet sister-in-law, Aaron's sister said, you know what? I'm going to find my brother. Enough is enough. The sun was just starting to rise. So it wasn't as dark. And she went back into the woods and within within seconds, we heard this very piercing scream. And I knew that she had found her brother. And I knew that this was a defining moment. And everybody except me went running into the woods. And I was left stunned looking at my mother-in-law saying, what has happened? And People were forced out of the woods by the police. And eventually I had that infamous moment you see in films where a police officer came to me and said, I'm sorry to tell you that your husband is dead. So <laughs> that's that's a lot to take in. I was like, no, he's not. No, this is everything is fine. This is not true. This is not real. And I'm I'm so frozen in that moment where I it was you know, there's sounds, but you hear nothing and there's people, but you see nothing. And I come to find out that my husband had been working on a deer stand. He liked to hunt deer. He had never caught a deer, but he liked the whole process. He liked the idea of it. He loved nature and he didn't strap himself in. So that was foolish and unsafe because in him, in his mind, he was undoubtedly invincible. And I don't, really know what happened. I don't know if he lost his balance. I don't know if limbs on that tree were weak, but he fell dozens of feet while trying to prepare this deer stand and did not die on impact. I found out that when the the wildlife went in and the detective went in, he said he actually tried to slide back down this trail. He had macheted, undoubtedly thinking, I'm hurt let me get some medical attention. And so he died peacefully based on what this detective tells me with his hands folded on his chest. And today, I mean, his death certificate, the date is says unknown as far as when he actually died. I don't know when he died because altogether it was a 40 hour search for him that he was missing kind of unaccounted for. So it became a crime scene because there were no witnesses and all I'm thinking in these moments are my husband is dead. Aaron is dead. My husband is dead. Aaron is dead. I'm trying to make it real. I'm trying to absorb fiction and make it fact. And that was very challenging to do. It's still hard to do today, but seeing them pull his body out in a body bag gave some, some tangibility to the moment where I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this that's his body is actually inside of this black bag. And I, they called me down and said, do you want us to unzip the bag? If you see this, you will never unsee this. And so I consulted 
with the police. I consulted with, you know, detectives and I'm asking them, what would you do if this was your spouse? What would you do? And they said, don't look, don't look, don't unzip the bag. And I said, can you just unzip it? So I see his feet. And they said, it, it doesn't unzip that way. It unzips from the head down. So no, we can't do that. And so I just put my hand on top of his chest on the outside of that bag, because I had to make sure does his chest rise and fall? I need to know. Like, I still am still convinced this cannot be reality. And the chest did not rise and the chest did not fall. And so that was that was the devastation of my life never being the same, of thinking this is the horror of horrors, and it's actually come to fruition. As a doctor. I have to ask, and as a man who would who puts myself into your body, um, I would have liked to know what the hell was going on. Did an autopsy uh, was an autopsy performed? It was. They. It was nice. I had a neighbor who was actually a sheriff, so he was able to get that pretty quickly to me. Nice. Um, I'm sure I have it somewhere in my house that I don't like to look at often, no, but hell, it was hell. a lot of um, blunt force trauma. Right. It was, he fell, you know, kind of diagonally, but head down. And so there was, you know, enough on the, the head and neck area. The people who had actually seen him said he actually looks really good. People who knew him before, there was a school police officer who was also his friend that was at the scene and said he looks really good in case you're worried that he is a disaster so it, the outside wasn't bad you know a little bit of blood in the ear but ultimately i think my hope and my understanding is that he was in so much shock mm. from this traumatic fall that maybe the brain couldn't fully process the pain that is that's the story that i have <laughs> believed that i've bought into whether it's real or fantasy i'm like it works for me. <laughs> and that's fine. That's absolutely, there's nothing wrong with compartmentalization, etc. But I know that this is not a pretty world out there. So therefore, I immediately would have thought, is there foul play at work? And at least you were able to, with the evidence that that you had, to rule that out. So mm -hmm. this was this was deemed an accident. Uh, mm -hmm. And that is a very different kettle of fish compared with, now let's say, an unknown disappearance where you never know what actually had occurred, what had transpired. So to a certain degree, I'm, I'm pleased for you because there is no, no, no uncertainty there, but That's very here true. you are, here you are being left suddenly alone mm -hmm. in a life that you had relied on to, to have a partner, to be, and your denial was still fresh for crying out loud. You probably haven't slept for hours. And yeah. and my goodness, how old were your kids then? So they were eight, seven, four, and four. Mm -hmm. So super tiny. <laughs> Bloody hell. Mm -hmm. How did that continue? Well, I had about four hours before I had to tell the kids they had been left at home when we left the beach. And so my father-in-law, knowing this information, because his wife, my mother-in-law had called him screaming and crying, he had to hold it together 
for the four hour drive with his four grandchildren and not say a word. And they kept saying, grandpa, why are we going home? We just got to the beach. Why won't you say anything? Where are we going? What's happening? Why did you pack us up? And he had to remain stoic, which my hat is off to him forever for that. So I had four hours to sit and, and again, try to process, try to understand. I, I mean, being blindsided, it's really hard to not be shaken and devastated, of course. And so once four hours was up, we were escorted by police home because police said, listen, your husband's going to be known in the community as a teacher. This happened on school property. The journalists may show up. They're allowed to be across the street from you. So I'm going to make sure you get home safely and don't get swarmed by the media. So he escorted us home and I just, I, I sat in my bedroom still reeling from the pain that I'm sure my husband endured. What were his last thoughts? How am I going to be a mom that's, you know, got four kids? How am I going to do all of this? And, and then I could hear my kids come through the front door. And I, I don't know that I've ever begged God so fervently as in those moments going, make it go away, make it not real. You're big enough for this. Come on, bring them back to life. Joke's over, end it now. And I'll, I'll still believe in you. We're still good. Just please don't make me hurt my kids because as a mom, you know, we always want to protect our kids. But in that moment, I had to intentionally inflict pain that would forever alter their lives. And they came tumbling into the bedroom and, you know, some of one of them doing a somersault on my bed. And they said, you know, what's going on? What's happening? Why are we here? Why are so many cars here? Why are all these people in our house? My oldest, who was eight, he looked at me and there were no words needed because I know that he knew his face said everything that he had quickly pieced together this puzzle. And so I told them, I said, I'm going to need everybody to listen to me and don't interrupt. Just let me get this out. And in these moments, I'm still thinking, God, how can I even move my tongue to say these words? It was as if I was so frozen that I couldn't get a word out. And so it took me a minute of them staring at me. And I'm like, you just got to do it. The reality is permanent. Just get it out. And so I said, I'm sorry to tell you this. I, I can't believe I have to say these words. I love you so much, but your daddy is dead. You will never see him again this side of heaven. He fell from a tree while working on his deer stand. And, and if we had known this accident was going to happen, we absolutely would have prevented it. And I, I, just, I just fell into sobbing as my kids were pretty stunned. They, they didn't have a lot to say. I don't even know that any of them even cried. I learned that kids kind of grieve differently than adults. And, and so I said, however you feel is justified. If you're angry, if you're confused, if you're just so sad, I am too. And it's, you're allowed to feel however you feel. I'm so, so sorry. But we know that your daddy is alive in heaven. We just can't see him. We can't see him for now. And I just kept saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Wow. 
at least though there was a community around you it sounds like that you had a good standing within within your community and that they were the casseroles flowing in from all sides um and the support there but even if you have no support or even if there's the world around you nothing ever seems to be right in those moments when you go through that loss when you go through that that devastation if no one is around you you are angry that no one is around and if everyone is around you just want them to leave it is such a weird a weird scenario no one who has not gone through it will will understand but regrettably so many of us in our life will come to such moments to such crossroads really in in our lives mm -hmm. and there are there are natural responses to that uh the most common i guess is the is the victim the victimization why me why me um and after the denial comes anger and resentment did that happen to you you know, I think it's super common, absolutely justified. For me, that was not my personal journey. I I didn't have the anger and resentment, though I think I think nothing less of people who do go through that emotion. I, I do think I was stunned, but I think what I kept going back to is we are all on a divine countdown. But, why not? Why, why, why would this not happen to me? It, it, you know, just to say like, well, it's not fair. We were, the plan was to die in our sleep when we're 99 <laughs> years old. It, it sounds yeah. good. That was About the original, that. <laughs> that's the agenda that I was following. That was my itinerary, but knowing that God's ways and my ways, <laughs> they very infrequently line up together. And so I had to keep going back to saying, this is permanent. It doesn't matter if I wish it wasn't so, because it is so. And so even though I was swimming in, in such an ocean of grief and still feel like I'm grieving, of course, I think what I kept diverting my mind to was God is still good. He is still good, even when I don't get my way. Because like I had told you, as a wife, I was very selfish, a very self-centered. What about me? And so this was a moment that was very humbling to say, wait a minute, let me process this in a healthy way that isn't going to further deteriorate me. I don't, I can't implode as a mom. And so I think even though I felt extreme pain and shock, so much numbing shock, I don't think I had an angry phase and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful. I didn't have, I got to somehow skirt around that. And my detour you know, undoubtedly had other emotions for a long time. Mm. But again, like you said, the community, I think there were so many people physically helping, whether they were in my house or babysitting my kids so I could go see an attorney, these kinds of things along with people praying, I'm like, wait a minute, prayer actually works. It's not just talking to the air, you know, speaking to the universe. I'm like, 
wow, God actually listens and he actually is active. And so it's like he, I feel like made it the best of the worst. I was able to quickly start mining out what are the what are the silver linings here okay well the kids and I now get to learn more about heaven so we got to dig deeper into the bible it's like you know how can I be refined as a person because I can't I can't change that my husband is laying there in a casket you know and so I think I was very confused at the beginning but I'm I'm grateful for an acceptance level, even though it's been a very slow acceptance, because I'm still not sure that he's actually gone. Even today, it seems bizarre. I'm like, no, he could he could still be on earth somewhere. Mm. Wow. Wow. It's, it's hard for me to, I don't believe in heaven. I don't believe necessarily in a God. Um, it is, and I'm, I'm so pleased for you that there is this this faith uh deeply ingrained in every fiber of your of your heart that supports you and that that is there um what makes you sure that he is in heaven you know i think when i think back to how did i stay vertical in those days because people were offering me sleeping pills um i think everybody's like telling me, well, if it happened to me, I'd be clutching a whiskey bottle rocking in a corner. <laughs> and I said, well, that's because you've never been through this. And you're forced out of the corner to release the whiskey bottle because I've got kids relying on me, which is, which is, it made it hard, but it also helped keep me going that I wasn't allowed to cry all day in bed and watch sad movies. That wasn't an option for me. But what I think helped as I reflect is I was already anchored into this faith before the storm hit. So the same way I couldn't build this foundation as a storm is coming down, it was laid before the first raindrop. Now, it, it may have been a shaky faith. It may have been, you know, <laughs> missing some nuts and bolts and been a little bit on level for sure. It probably was a superficial faith, but I think because I was already... I had already experienced true God moments in my life along the way since I was a little girl that I was like, well, he he's always been real. I've always known about him. My parents told me about God, I knew Bible verses. And, and so because it's like the, I had this stockpile almost of truth that when I'm trying to be knocked over by this storm, I was still able to keep my feet planted. I think that's, for me, that's kind of how it worked. It had been personal enough and not so much a Sunday school felt bored, flat Jesus character with his sandals and white robe that that kind of seems distant and like a fiction story to me. I was gracious that over my lifetime through other hardships and other trials and even other, even other blessings that I had really felt God working in my life. So I think that's, I think otherwise the Bible is just words on a page and prayers are just talking to the open sky. So that's kind of my perspective, my experience. I love it that there is, that you distinguish between the, the kind of cliches uh, and realize, nah, that's not it, but that you actually see Jesus as an as an 
form of energy that compels you to make the most out of you, uh, out of yourself, and uh, the, the most out of a situation that can never be positive. Yeah. Um, so I think none of the guests ever, ever <laughs> has described their lives and the trauma in their lives as something really, yay, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not. Yet, so many of my guests, when I asked them, if you had a time machine and you were able to go back, would you undo what had occurred to you? Would you? What would your answer be? Wow. You know, I don't think anybody's ever asked me that question. And that's really hard because I remember one of my twins being super little and and he was like, maybe there's a time machine. Maybe there's a magic ring. You know, all of these things. I think it's hard that there's not visiting hours. That's something, you know, I know people have talked about. <laughs> but that's, you know, that's called a near, that's a near-death experience. <laughs> and I don't wish yeah. that on anyone, okay? So right. no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, an hour wouldn't be enough. It's really hard because I sound cold. I sound ungrateful if I say I wouldn't change it because I have caused this pain on my children that changed their destiny that they this will be their first sentence talking to a counselor when they're adults it will always be when I was x years old my dad died by falling from a tree I had to know this and I I think what I have to default to because I really I'm kind of torn I kind of want to say yeah, redo all of it. Because the thing is, I have such survivor's guilt because I reminded my husband before leaving town, oh, weren't you going to work on your deer stand when the kids and I left? And he said, oh yeah, that's right. Thanks for reminding me. Uh... When you have this kind of stuff on your conscience. And again, it, it's all... It's all kind of water under the bridge at this point. I can't take that time travel back, even though I'm like, why did you open your mouth? I think in the end, I have to say, again, it, I don't ever want to interfere with God's perfect plan. And the way he weaves our lives individually and as the masses of billions of us to say that I want his ways to be different really doesn't make sense for me. And yes, I've had joy since loss. I'm so, so grateful. There's times where I can smile and laugh even after a funeral, which I didn't think was possible as much as I miss Aaron and, and wish I didn't have to tell my children, you are fatherless and I am widowed. I just don't think I want to botch up a sovereign creator's agenda. I have to, I have to, bow down and be obedient to how he's again if we're all on our own trajectory that's going to end up in a casket most likely i have to say well then it is it selfish to keep him here because a, a great and quick response after my husband's funeral was one of my very best friends losing her friend my husband said, you know what? I now believe that God is real. 
I gave him a part of my heart, a part of my life, but it was never all of it. You can't have all of it. You can't have my kids. You're not allowed to touch my family, but I'll put you in my Sunday box. After going to this funeral and losing her friend, she said, I'm in, I'm in. I, I want to follow Jesus for real and give him all of it, which does include the real close, the husband, the children, the family, all of these things that we hold so cherished so to me, I'm like, listen, you know, if I'm being a, a, a realist to say Aaron was going to die anyway, I wanted it to be 99 in our sleep. But to say he was going to heaven no matter what, the way he loved and lived for the Lord, he, he would pray for us in those deer stands beforehand, months and years before when he would look for deer, he was praying for his family. I'm thinking he's heaven bound anyway, but she wasn't. And somehow his death brought about this silver lining of now her destiny has changed. That is, that was something I didn't expect. I longed for, but didn't expect. And so for me, I'm like, there can be, there can be pain and purpose that the grief and joy can actually coexist. Wow. 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 That is, that is a beautiful, beautiful insight. Because it is trying to find the meaning of life, the the meaning of why has all that shit happened to you, and to actually move on from the victim or from the passive receiver or from even from the survivor um, to the thriver, to the person who now creates a legacy out of that trauma out of the darkness where you are but it doesn't come overnight what were the first insights or oh, to use your language what were the first the first messages jesus christ gave you with regards to moving on with regards to to going out there and changing the world you know i i don't know if there was a one moment it was almost a slow evolution because I, that that funeral was you know this finality this closure while there were still some other celebrations of life after that was the big one where i was like well here we go i'm linking arms with these four little boys and we are still a family we're just a smaller family so even weeks after the funeral i had scheduled months before but I think five, six months before I had scheduled family pictures, I said, you know what, I want to spend a lot of money. And we're going to get a fancy formal photographer to take our picture of all six of us for our Christmas cards. And then September rolled around. And I thought, do I cancel the pictures? Because he's gone. Why, why did I even schedule this? I didn't, I never even got the one picture I envisioned in my mind. And that was a moment where I could say, wait a minute, you're still a family. These are still family pictures. You're just a smaller family. And so we went and we had those fancy formal photographer pictures taken, even though it was rough. I, I did scream at my kids and I did cry that night and I did drink wine that night. I think probably a whole bottle because it was so freaking hard <laughs> emotionally and maternal wise. But I think it was over time, so many people helping us that I thought, 
okay, maybe I really won't crumble. I told a friend, I said, everybody says you hold it together for the first year. And after that, you basically disintegrate. And she said, you won't do that. You won't crumble. And I said, no, I think I will. I think I will. I don't think I'm going to make it. I, I, I can't, I can't function. I've got to get a job and I have to be a single mom. This is really, really challenging. And she said, you won't crumble because you have God and you have kids. They're going to force you to make breakfast and take them to school. And she was right. So I think there were little pockets of time I met. Unfortunately, I'll say it's bittersweet. I met lots of other young widows with kiddos. That was another source of like, we can do this, y'all. We can do this. We can put one step in front of the other. And I think that this tragedy has jolted me out of the mundane monotony that I was living and thinking, I really have to get everything from God. I can no longer be codependent on my husband and idolize my husband. And there was no more, wait till your dad gets home, or I hope he helps with bath time and dishes. It was all on me. And so I think part of that journey was learning. You're going to, you're going to stay vertical. You're going to be okay. It's going to be hard every step, but you can do this. You will do this. And I, I, I had so many people that I'm eternally grateful for that helped inch me there very slowly. So I really can't think of, you know, one moment. <laughs> I wish I could. I wish there was a profound no, no, moment, no. but I think I went at a snail's pace. <laughs> and that is so normal, isn't it? Because yeah. trauma comes in layers, healing comes in layers. And I think it is so important to 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 realize that. And you are growing. And your growth is actually quite beautifully uh, followable. <laughs> we can easily follow your 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 progress, your growth uh, by looking at the various the various uh, projects you created. Um, I've got you here, the, the, my mum, my mum's sanity. That is one <laughs> of your your things, or a fit with Deb. Um, so you started reinventing yourself. You actually went out there and you started to create this community you didn't just accept what sort of fell into your lap but you actually thought huh okay you started helping others <laughs> widows with kiddos there, there you are for crying out loud i mean what a mission um how, when did that start and, and how did that develop it was you know the minute i told my four kids your daddy is gone the first thing my oldest said was, what are you going to do about money? Ooh. And I thought, I hadn't even thought about it. I, mm. It had not crossed my mind. I was so focused on death, death, death. But I hadn't shifted the spotlight to how do I become breadwinner as a stay-at-home mom? Yeah. Yeah. How do I pay the light bill? And so as I, I tried to process, what do I do with chapter two? I've been given this opportunity what do I want to be when I grow up? <laughs> and I, because I realized kids are rough, <laughs> I would not like to return to the classroom. I, I can't deal with kids. I really need to be around adults to thrive. I had to, I had to spend time. I took lots of little online assessments. What are your interests? Because I thought, what am I going to become when I'm an adult as this single mom? And I really landed on I like helping busy women work out. That's how everything started. I, I had gotten into fitness over 
the past few years because my jeans were tight. I didn't love fitness. I just needed fitness. And I thought, you know what? I could help other moms. I can make this super convenient. They can bring their kids. We'll have fun. So within a few months of my husband's passing, I got certified and said, let's do this. Started having group workouts at parks so kids could swing on the swings and moms could you know, swing around some weights. And so it became a great opportunity for me to be very stretched past my comfort zone. That that was a very hard time to work for myself. That was never on my vision board. And it was almost simultaneously that mom sanity was born because all moms are crazy. My friend had this idea of like, let's help busy moms get fit and let's make it really about glorifying God with this body that we've been given. Let's pour into moms so that they can pour into their families. Uh, So both businesses basically were born at the same time, which was highly overwhelming because I am not a very skilled person. (laughs) I was just a diaper changer. And so it also became a good thing to get pushed past my comfort zone over and over and over again, just reinforced you got to rely on God because in and of myself, I'll, I'll implode every time <laughs> I'm so weak. And so I, I, I hope that, you know, by creating these, my goal has always been, I just want to help other people. I want to encourage them however I can. I want to meet them where they are. And I started a little Facebook group, widow to widow about, I just want to be there for other widows. Let's have a community because no one really understands widowhood like widows do and so to be that support for all over the world for these widows to feel like i'm not alone in this other people have also had to write an obituary that we can you know say have you had this happen have you had this happen how are you coping through the holidays things like that it's been again a bittersweet blessing but it's nice to know you can be widowed and and not be 99 years old. And we we've got each other's backs kind of thing. (laughs) Beautiful. Beautiful. Wow. But that was, that was what, I mean, 2012, 2023. So we are talking really, uh, you know, maybe 10 years, nine years ago that those, those ideas started to permeate to, to, to just sort of come to the surface and then, okay, two, three years to actually get the whole thing going. Cool. Um, but that didn't stop you. Uh, so you're yet out there reinventing yourself. You are growing because we all do. Once we have seen the light after darkness, there is no holding us back. There is no, no, no. Uh, we might dip from now and then back into the victim role. We all do. That's let's not be silly here. Um, but in general terms, we are moving on a trajectory. What is your trajectory now? So who, I think you know will I you be soon. Hmm, that's a good question. You know, I think for a while I really let fear drive the bus. While I didn't have a lot of anger, I'm definitely able to say, oh, I checked the box for fear. I, you know, I always have tried to share with others. Here's your, here's my unsolicited advice from a widow. So I try to put that out there, you know, social media and stuff to say, kiss longer, hug more often, (laughs) savor today, you know, like all of those things that we forget to do. And again, that, that complacency that life often holds to say, 
treat every day as if it's the last. I know that's a tall order. I fail at that myself. And But I think as far as really trying to be creative and put pen to paper, I I started to write a lot about faith and grief, but I also was held back by fear. What will other people think of me? Or this isn't worthy of reading, things like that. So I, I kind of got to a point recently where I said, feel the fear and do it anyway. Do it anyway. Do it scared. What's wrong with that? And so again, I feel like if my ultimate goal, if my whole purpose on earth is to glorify God, am I going to be disobedient and say, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to tie my hands behind my back. I can't do that either. I can't justify that either. And so I'm like, just do it scared. And, and honestly, you know, I, I have loved again, which I never thought would happen. You know, having this new marriage, because I never thought I would get married again, that has been another experience of being stretched past my comfort zone, because I thought, what in the world is happening? I'm, I'm not worthy of being married to nobody's going to want me. And this love comes along that I didn't expect, I didn't dream of, I didn't ask for, and it has been so wonderful. So all of this is happening while I'm trying to start up new businesses. And my now husband, Jason, was always my biggest cheerleader from day one, you know, because he knew my husband, he and I go way back. We had been friends for a long time. He was one of the men looking in the woods for his friend, Aaron, That's how far back we go. And it's just life came together where we fell in love. And it was like, this is the creepiest thing ever. This is crazy. People are going to think I'm, you know, rebounding and trying to pacify my pain. But I'm like, listen, I'm seeking God and and God's pretty unstoppable. (laughs) If I'm giving him the green light, you know, like anything can happen. And so he was there as I'm how do I do this entrepreneur thing? How does that even work? And another opportunity to be stretched past my, my comfort level for sure in a, in a wonderful way. (laughs) Wow. And that's such a beautiful, beautiful way of living because no doubt there will be vicious tongues, uh, wagging behind your back. Um, because there are just vicious people out there. End of the story. They, in their own belief systems, oh my God, she needs to wear sex and have ash on her head for the rest of her life. Only then can we be happy that she is suffering. Bullshit. Um, um, so I love it that that your faith actually allowed you to experience joy again. Because you were able to tie that all in and say, well, actually, this is, it's God's will uh, that I suffered. And now it's also his will that I grow out of it. That's beautiful. I didn't have those things to maybe keep me um, to a certain for myself that it's that I'm on the right way. There's a lot of doubt in my head. There's a lot of, of, who the hell are you to have a show? Who the hell are you to approach people? Do you have that that little voice in your head? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, all Did the you? time, every day. <laughs> every day. <laughs> I'm, I must be the biggest fraud there is. I'm always convinced of that. Yeah, I have no business doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there is this voice, okay, which is good. So even because what's not on the one hand, you, you say, well, actually, no, I believe uh, God has created this path for me, and therefore it would be rude for me not to follow it uh, on the one hand. You, on the other hand, you have got equally the naysayer. Uh, that's, I like that. I like that. So <laughs> what are your habits to 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 stick on that side of the... Of the, the <laughs> You know, I think I have to, I have to, you know, try to have this right judgment of the situation. I think I'm really good at doubting myself and my now husband, my new second husband is in the habit of saying what you're saying is not true of yourself. He He's the one that uplifts me constantly to say, you know, you you're actually really hard on yourself. And don't you understand your impact, your calling? Because he's always walked alongside me in this grieving. He has always been the shoulder to cry on, you know? And so I think, you know, I try to stay in the habit of, of being prayerful and reading my Bible and going to church because I now realize just how significant it is. I never want to just go through the motions of like, oh, be a good girl and all of that stuff. So I think, you know, the the doubt always creeps in. I I truly feel that almost every day. And I have to just push back and say, well, I, I hope that's not true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hope I'm authentic. I hope that I can help just one person. I don't have to help everybody, but you know, maybe if we link arms together, we we do all this together. So that, that's my hope, at least. I'm not sure. Beautiful. No, and that's that's where again the humility comes in, and where the authenticity comes in, because none of us are on this this kind of we are the 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 savers of this world without any <laughs> doubt and without any question. And no, on the contrary, the people who are going out there are often the loneliest. Um, as a leader, um, you have yeah, uh, it's not easy. So therefore, I think it's a it's a beautiful to actually bring bring thought leaders together on a show like this and actually just both share and say, fuck, yeah, I I have constant doubts and I don't know what to do. <laughs> so it is normal. It is normal to feel those those feelings, those uncertainties. But it's also beautiful to get reinforced to actually know that, hey, yeah, uh, I'm not the only one who has got doubts, but maybe just by accepting these doubts and still moving ahead by mm-hmm. feeling the fear and still doing what you feel is the right thing. Now that is where again, growth comes. That's the post-traumatic growth that I cherish and mm-hmm. that I want to experience. I don't mind the fear. And actually from now and then I don't mind the terror, the, the anxiety washing over me. And it is I just accepted uh, that I maybe am about to do things that are just maybe not so unusual, uh, maybe not so usual, not so, not, you know, if everyone was able to do things uh, the way we do, then it would be, you know, it wouldn't be anything strange. But no, 
I think it's time for us to take leadership. It's time for us to go out there and make the most out of our life because it is the darkness. It's okay that it's there. It will form us. It will it will push us. Um, but um, yeah, it's time to grow. And you are growing so beautifully. It is an amazing thing. If people oh, want to know... Eh? Your words are so inspiring. <laughs> I, I love it. Look, uh, if people want to know more about you, Debbie, where can they go? Where can they find out more about you? Yeah, so I've got two online fitness and nutrition businesses. One is fitwithdeb.com. The other is mymomsanity.com. And then I also blog about faith and my grief walk, all of the stuff that's tangled up with death and mourning. And that's a really long title, but it's debbiewilkinsbasedin.com. So I would love to connect, truly. It would be, it would be an honor for me. Guys, look down there into the description of the YouTube video and of the podcast. All of Debbie's uh, links are down there. It's very easy to follow them. So please don't be shy. Uh, is, you have got so much to gain and so little to lose. I mean, think of it. You have already taken action. And I assume that maybe grief has been in your past. So guys, for you out there, it is, you have taken already action. You're no longer the victim because you've listened to our interview till this point. Wow, that is taking action. So now you've already made one step. Why not take the next step? And if you are more interested in 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 the, in the journey with Jesus Christ, uh, then Debbie is probably a good woman to talk to um, and to bounce ideas around. So don't be silly. Get in touch with her down there. Whilst you're looking down there, press the like and subscribe button. Uh, tell your friends about it um, because we try to impact lives and we try to make the most out of this, out of our time on this earth. Um, and it is a beautiful, beautiful journey. So I invite you all to guys to come along. Uh, just Debbie and I are just a little bit further down the, the, the road, maybe from you. Hey, uh, that is beautiful. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> we have got the scars and bruises to show. And maybe therefore, therefore, maybe it is quite cool to come along with us. So here you go. Debbie, you're an amazing woman. I wish you so much energy to keep going and do all the those those activities and help all those people out there. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you so much. I'm I'm truly grateful. Thanks. <laughs> and you guys out there, look after yourself and live with passion, eh? Bye. I never give up. I never give up. I never give up. Turn around.